0: I believe that as we transition from grace to growth, it is right for us to consider the transformational impact of an attitude that is overcome by gratitude. And really, when we think about grace, when we're reminded of the Father's love displayed in the person of Jesus Christ, when we think of all that he has done for us, is not our best response a simple three-letter prayer? Thank you, Lord. One of the reasons we started this series with grace is because we wanted to be really sure. We wanted to be sure there was no confusion, no doubt about what it meant to be saved by grace alone. That to be rescued from the pain and price of our sin by the one who loved us beyond measure, not because of anything that we have ever done or could ever do, but simply because of the loving action of a gracious God. Now just stick with me for a moment. Because once we understand and accept God's grace, when we say yes to Jesus, when we humble ourselves before God, when we come to faith in Him and acknowledge to Him our sin and our need of a Savior, when we do that, Jesus Christ comes to our lives, to our hearts, and He forgives us and He enters in to begin a new life in us. And He gives us His Spirit to lead us, to guide us, to teach us. So now we're no longer ruled by self and sin, but by His Spirit. And you want to know something remarkable? His Spirit then begins to do a transforming work in our hearts and in our minds and in our lives. Because as we surrender to the Spirit's power and control in our lives, one of the best evidences of this transformation that is taking place in, is that our lives then are distinctly marked by an attitude of gratitude. Uh, consider these words from the Apostle Paul's letter to the Ephesians, chapter 5, verses 18 through 21. And it's a reminder to us, very simply, that we are always giving thanks. We should always be giving thanks. In the scripture that we read from, that was just read for us from, from Psalm 103, there's a little phrase that I always caught in there that just simply said, I think it was in verse two, it says, forget not all his benefits. And then the psalmist goes on to rehearse and repeat all of the things that he remembers that God has done, all these incredible things. And the next 20-some verses are all full of these phrases of what God has done. He's reminding himself that he should be always giving thanks. Praise the Lord, he says, O my soul. And so Paul, in writing to the Ephesians, says, Do not get drunk on wine, which leads to debauchery. Instead, he says, be filled with the Spirit. So he's simply just speaking here of the controlling influence of our lives. And goes on to say, Speak to one another with psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. Sing and make music in your heart to the Lord, always giving thanks to God the Father for everything in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Did you catch that? always giving thanks to God the Father for everything. In fact, as you read through the Bible, you will discover again and again the importance of a grateful spirit. The Bible very carefully links the spirit of gratitude with victory in the Christian life. Consider a couple of verses. 2 Corinthians 2 verse 14. Paul simply writes, But thank God. He has made us His captives and continues to lead us along in Christ's triumphal procession. And in 1 Corinthians 15, verse 57, He says, But thank God He gives us victory over sin and death through our Lord Jesus Christ. When we're reminded of what Christ has done for us, it causes us to simply give thanks to God. And in these few verses, victory and triumph are in the same context with gratitude. And the reality is, is, I think, that if you show me someone who is experiencing a, a, a victory in their Christian lives, they are on, a, on, a, on another level. They're kind of on the scale where you're just looking at them going, they, are, they, they just have something that, that maybe I'm missing. They have this sense of triumph, things uh, not that they're all going well, but they have this peace in their hearts. And I suspect that I could show you then a person who is per- permeated with a grateful attitude. They just know deep in their hearts and in their lives that God is doing some amazing things in their lives and they are so thankful. If you stop and think about it, you probably realize along with me how easy it is to be ungrateful. It at times seems almost natural to complain to be negative, to entertain self-pitying thoughts. But if the Spirit of God is within us, He will help us triumph over that, and therefore, we will triumph over it as well. He will give us the victory. And so what is the bottom line? I believe that every follower of Christ should be distinctly marked by this attitude of gratitude. Just stay with me and we'll develop this a little bit more. If we ask the question, okay, I understand that giving thanks is important. And sometimes I can't just kind of muster that up. What can I do to cultivate gratitude in my life? Where can gratitude come from? And if we take a little closer look at these verses that Paul wrote to the Ephesians, I think there's a couple of things. The first is that we would just submit ourselves to the control of the Holy Spirit submit ourselves to the control of the Holy Spirit. And in these verses, there's a couple of interesting things that then take place or the result of giving ourselves control of the Holy Spirit, being filled with the Holy Spirit. And he says, first of all, that then our speaking, our singing, and our making music are impacted. You see, one of the things that happens when you are a spirit-filled follower of Christ is that you are filled to overflowing with gratitude and we can express that then through our worship or through our singing. You see, when we sing, as we have just sung this morning, we think about what we're singing. We enter into the words and the thoughts and the expressions. And the singing, I believe, will ultimately come from a deeper place. It's not just sort of a, a, a routine mouthing of the words, but we start to go, yes, that's true. That's what's happened. That is true of me. That's what Jesus has done for me. And we start to think, and we, we sort of personalize the words in, in a sense. I think a great example of this is a, a well-known, familiar hymn that uh, that probably ranks right up there next to Amazing Grace as one of those common, uh, most familiar and loved hymns. How great thou art, right? Remember the, the, the chorus? Then sings my soul. Right? It's coming from the very depth of who we are. And why? Think of, I think it's the third verse that we would traditionally sing. It goes like this. And when I think, okay, there's the first clue. We start thinking about what God has done. And when I think, are you saying it in your head already? That God, His Son not sparing... sent him to die. I scarce can take it in. See what he's saying? He's just overwhelmed by gratitude of what God has done through Jesus Christ. That on the cross, my burden gladly bearing, he bled and died to take away My sin. And when we enter into those kind of words, when those words become the true expression of what God has done in our lives, what is our ultimate response? Then sings my soul, right? We can't contain it anymore. In Psalm 42, verse 4, the psalmist is sustained in moments of loneliness. Deep discouragement and longing by memories of joyful praise among God's people. He writes, these things I remember. There it is again, right? This sense of remembering. Forget not all his benefits. But he says, these things I remember as I pour out my soul. How I used to go with the multitude gathering in a place, in some ways, you know, obviously many ways very unlike this, and yet gathering with the multitude like this. Leading the procession, he says, to the house of God. He's remembering what he used to do. With shouts of joy and thanksgiving among the festive throng. So in other words, he's thinking about this great, joyful expression of praise and thanksgiving among God's people. And now, when he's in deep discouragement and despair, he's remembering that. You see, singing, I believe, is one of the most natural expressions that God has given us that becomes an expression of joy that God has brought into our lives. Paul says here that we are to make music in our hearts. You see, this is not about just singing merely with feeling or emotion because the heart refers uh, throughout the Scriptures as the, really the controlling center of one's being. So Paul is really singing, saying here, sing with your whole being which at times obviously will include the emotions, but it's it's deeper than that. You see, the real issue here is the integrity with which we sing, not the feelings. Words are not merely sung. They become deep expressions of gratitude. And again, it, it's when we think about what God has done that we want to express our gratitude, even if we can't carry a tune, right? It just comes out of us, our speaking, our singing, our making music, all ultimately give voice to this deep inner joy that we have because of what Jesus has done for us. So we place ourselves under the control of the Holy Spirit and it impacts our speaking or singing and our making music and it simply impacts our giving thanks. Because Paul makes this very clear and straightforward in the command in verse 20, always giving thanks to God the Father for everything. See, this really is the root or the source of our thanksgiving. We give thanks to God for all that He has done. I think a problem that we face, though, is that we often maybe lack an appreciation for the importance of thanksgiving. And yet, it, it may be one of the most important things that we do. God says here, through the apostle Paul, that when we are controlled by His Spirit, we are a, a great. We will be a grateful people, people thankful for what we have, anxious to share it with others, and always overwhelmed with the gratitude of God's goodness to us when we realize the truth of what God has done for us when it really grips our heart, we may fall on our knees overwhelmed because we scarce can take it in. William Law, writing centuries ago, made a very good point when he said, Would you like to know who is the greatest saint in the world? It isn't he who prays most or fasts most. It is he, It isn't he who gives most. But it is he who is always thankful to God, who receives everything as an instrument of God's goodness and has a heart always ready to praise God for it. The practice of thanksgiving is is, is itself transforming. Have you ever tried to be thankful and entertain thankful thoughts while at the same time entertaining malicious thoughts or negative thoughts? You see, thankfulness pushes negativity and complaining to the periphery, to the edges. I mean, really, can we on one hand pray, and I know we do because I do this, we pray and give thanks for a meal. And then as we engage in that meal, we start finding reason to complain about the meal that we've just given thanks for. This meat is too tough. The soup's too cold. The salad is soggy. Right? I mean, we just, it's just like, wait a minute, there, there's something ironic about that. Because those two things are like mutually incompatible. That we say thanks on one hand and then turn around and, well, this isn't so great after all. Something just doesn't seem right about that, does it? Let me speak to just one more thing. When Paul says, always giving thanks to God the Father for everything... Does he really mean everything? I mean, should we give thanks even for evil and tragedy, pain and suffering? John Stott says, and I agree with this, that's why I'm quoting him, (laughs) that everything in verse 20 is hyperbole. That is, it's exaggeration for effect we are to live out our lives with the awareness that all of life, even the bad, is lived out under God's control. But here's the key. We don't then give thanks for our circumstances, but we give thanks in our circumstances. And it's a huge difference, right? So it's not like, you know, oh, I... I'm so thankful for this terrible tragedy that has happened to me. It's developing character and, you know, it's not that at all. It's rather, you know, in the midst of this terrible tragedy, I am still thankful for God's love and for His grace and for His goodness and for His power and for His grace and everything else that we can think of. Because what? we're going to, in the midst of that, forget not all his benefits. In the midst of that, we're going to remember everything that he has done. We see this so often in the Psalms. Watch for it as you're reading them. Deep expressions of pain, longing, discouragement, even at times despair and then you'll find an expression like this and I will yet praise him you see that it's a declaration of uh, in the midst of all of this stuff I can still stop and give thanks to God personally The greatest example I think that I have ever seen of trust and thanksgiving in the midst of sorrow and pain is my mother in law. I'm glad Tina's out with the children this morning. I think she is. Because I remember 2003 January so vividly standing at the front of a church in Cleveland, Ohio, next to Tina. Who was next to her mom at Tina's brother's funeral? 34 years old, tragic, painful, lots of sorrow. And I remember just looking to my left, and here is a grieving mother singing her heart out Thank you, oh my father, for giving us your son. You might know that as there is a Redeemer. Because that's where the hope was. It wasn't giving thanks for that circumstance, it was giving thanks in that circumstance for Jesus and for what He's done. And so we can cultivate an attitude of gratitude by placing ourselves under the influence of the Holy Spirit. That gratitude will find expression in our singing, our speaking, our making music, and simply giving thanks. But there are a couple of other things that we can do to cultivate gratitude. Secondly is having a commitment to God's Word. Just making a commitment to God's Word. Paul, in writing to the Colossians, says this, chapter 3, verse 16 and 17, Let the Word of Christ dwell in you richly, as you teach and admonish one another with all wisdom, and as you sing psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs with gratitude in your hearts to God, and whatever you do, whether in word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through Him. Now there's a lot there, but I see this connection between letting the word of Christ, he says, dwell in us, And then ultimately, giving thanks to God. You see, when we fill our minds and our lives with the Word of God, the Bible, when we saturate ourselves in it, when it takes up residence in our hearts, the inevitable result will be gratitude. Because when we read the Bible, we're exposed to all that God has done. And the Holy Spirit uses the Scriptures to to change us and form us into the image of Jesus. We're confronted with the truth, oftentimes the ugly truth, of who we were. But we're also taught about who we are and what we will be. And that is something for us to be thankful for. So we spend time consistently and regularly reading the Bible... And I'm convinced that gratitude will take root and germinate and grow in our lives. Another way that we can cultivate gratitude in our lives is just simply through a peaceful heart. When we recognize that the peace that we have with Christ is something for us to be thankful for. Colossians 3.15 says, Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts. Since, as members of one body, you are called to peace and be thankful. You see, when we are at peace with God and with others, when all is right, when the relationship between us and God has been restored, I believe the result is, is gratitude. But again, it is reflecting on and understanding what God has done that brings this peace into our hearts and thanks into our spirits. Remember this from Paul's letter to the Romans? But God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. In other places, the Bible calls us enemies of God. But then, through what Jesus has done, we become Friends with God. The relationship has been restored. We are made right with God. We are at peace with God. And that peaceful spirit ultimately gives rise to our thanksgiving. When our souls, in a sense, are in turmoil, when we're wrestling with God, when things are not right, it's often difficult then to turn around and say, Thanks be to God. And lastly, I believe we can cultivate a grateful attitude by cultivating a prayerful life. Colossians 4.2 says, Devote yourselves to prayer with an alert mind and a thankful heart. It's so very difficult to pray with a spirit of Ingratitude and complaining, have you discovered that? We may start there, but if we 're listening to the spirit of god it 's hard to stay there and that 's I think what we see in the psalm so many times. He starts to express his disappointments and all of the the, the pain and all of the emotion that that, that he 's feeling and then Yet, I will praise Him. You see, when we pray, when we cultivate our prayer life, it's like when we make a commitment to God's Word, we can't help but be thankful. Uh, In writing to the Philippians, Paul writes, Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. Uh, Are you familiar with acts praying. If you've been in the church somewhere along the road, probably you've been introduced to this. It's an acronym that many have found helpful in order to give some order and structure to their prayers. So the A is simply adoration. The C is confession. The T is thanksgiving. And the S is supplication. You know, it's a, it's a big word meaning, simply meaning requests. But if it was an R, it just wouldn't fit the acronym as well, right? Actor or whatever you'd you'd say. It doesn't work as well as acts. You know, so if you need a little outline for your prayers, this is a good place to start. Adore God for who he is and for what he has done. And as we focus our thoughts on God, inevitably we're reminded of the things that we ought to confess in our lives. And we give thanks and maybe just even as a side, when I try to go through this, one of the things I was taught, I remember hearing this as a speaker at a conference one time, and it just kind of caught me. I said, yeah, to intentionally count out 10 things that I'm thankful for. So when you find yourself praying and you start giving thanks, and, okay, wait a minute, I'm going I'm to keep track. Why? Remember the old classic hymn, count your many blessings, name them one by one, and it will surprise you what the Lord has done. Can you imagine if every day we're taking time and cultivating our prayer life and we get to this place and we start giving thanks for 10 things? We'll see how much we have to be grateful for. But notice in this verse, too, that as Paul writes this, do not be anxious about anything but in everything by prayer and petition. He says, with thanksgiving, not just and thanksgiving. Because as helpful as adoration, confession, thanksgiving, and requests are, is, thanksgiving is not really supposed to be a separate category unto itself. But all of our praying should be seasoned with thanksgiving. You see, because as we commit to developing our prayer lives, the result will once again be a grateful spirit. Because when we adore God for His love, we can't help but give thanks to God for His love. Or if we thank Him for what He's doing, we see how great and powerful and mighty He is. So they're not really sort of two, you know, mutually separate things. They're, they're in a sense, one and the same. And so as we commit to developing our our prayer lives, I believe the result again will be a, a grateful spirit. I thank God, you God, for your love. You can never tire of saying that. I thank you, God, for your mercy. I thank you for who you are and for what you've done. Thank you, Lord. If we walk through our days, the experiences we have, and we consistently say in the midst of whatever might be going on around us, thank you, Lord. The interesting thing, one of the verses I came across, is that lest we kind of think that this is optional, giving thanks is in fact God's will. The Apostle Paul writes to the Thessalonians, chapter first uh, Thessalonians chapter five verse eighteen: "Give thanks in all circumstances." Right there, it is again. For this, he goes on to say is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. It's pretty clear, isn't it? It is actually the will of God that we would be a thankful people. Gratitude is the will of God for our lives. And if we're not a grateful person, and I suspect that maybe in our hearts right now, we know very well whether we are or aren't, we are not placing ourselves under the control of the holy spirit and so in a sense we're we're out of step with the will of god no matter how many gifts of the spirit we might be exhibiting in our lives to be ungrateful is to be out of the will of god it really is maybe far more serious than we realize because when we allow negativity or griping and complaining to rule, we're out of the will of God. In fact, let me take this just a little step further. In Romans chapter 1, Paul begins describing a culture that is sliding toward oblivion. And then in verses 21 and 22, he writes, "For all, he's talking about these people, for although they knew God, they neither glorified him as God. Now catch this nor gave thanks to him. But their thinking became futile and their foolish hearts were darkened. Although they claimed to be wise, they became fools. And basically Paul says that failure to give thanks is descriptive of a world that is out of step with God. And in Second Timothy 3 verses 1 to 2, Paul describes godless people. He writes this. Listen, listen to the... I'm not even going to read all of them. I'm going to stop after the second verse. But this is what he writes. He says, but mark this. There will be terrible times in the last days. People will be lovers of themselves, lovers of money, boastful, proud, abusive, kind of an ugly list so far, right? Disobedient to their parents, ungrateful. And then he just goes on and lists some more. Isn't it interesting? That in the midst of this descriptive of a godless people, he says they're ungrateful. I think it's clear that God's will is for us to be a grateful people. The Apostle Paul, in writing, would sometimes in the midst of writing about one thing, very quickly head off on a a rabbit trail. He would be writing in a clear, logical way, and then all of a sudden he would just go off on something. In 1 Timothy, there's a good example of this. He says in verse 12, chapter 1, I thank Jesus Christ, our Lord, who has given me strength, that he considered me faithful, appointed me in his service, even though I was once a blasphemer and a persecutor and a violent man. So he's recalling all of what he used to be. I was shown mercy. The grace of the Lord was poured out on me abundantly, along with the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. Here's a trustworthy saying that deserves full acceptance. Jesus Christ came into the world to save sinners of whom I am the worst. But for that very reason, I was shown mercy, so that in me, the worst of sinners, Christ Jesus might display his unlimited patience as an example for those who would believe on him and receive eternal life. And when he thinks about who he was, about what God has done in his life, he breaks out with this one verse of expression. Now to the King, eternal, immortal, invisible, the only God, be honor and glory forever and ever. Amen. His thanks found expression in that phrase. This morning, it's a great fit for us to gather around this table not literally but figuratively as there will be some who come and join me and will distribute a piece of bread and a cup it's a cup of juice it's an ordinary piece of bread that are simply symbols that remind us of what Jesus has done this really is a time of thanksgiving. In some traditions, and maybe some of you come from a tradition where this was not called communion, it was called the Eucharist, which is a good word because it comes from a Greek word, Eucharisto, which means simply what? To give thanks. And so this is a time of thanksgiving. And if you have experienced the grace of God in your life, if you've come to that place where you have crossed the line, if you've trusted Jesus, you've put your faith in Him, this is a time for us to forget not all His benefits, to remember all that He has done. Maybe take you back. Think back to the day, maybe the place, the event, the camp, the meeting, the prayer in your bed that you said with your mother that you can remember saying yes to Jesus and just say thank you. Thank you, Lord. So I'm going to invite those who are going to help me distribute these elements just to come. And we're going to hand out both elements and If you have not experienced the grace of Jesus in this way, can I just say it is totally, totally okay for you to just let that plate pass. In fact, that's what you should do. We're not keeping track of who is and who isn't taking communion. But I hope that you start to think that you're not here by accident that you're maybe invited by a friend, a family member, a neighbor, who says, you know, you have to come to church with me. And I hope that as you think about what you've heard this morning, you think about what Jesus has done for you. It's not a gift that you've received yet, so it's difficult for you to say thanks for it. But you can And even in the quietness of the moment that we're going to have, just before Barry will lead us in a thanksgiving prayer, you can say yes to Jesus. Maybe it doesn't all make sense to you yet, but you can just say, you know what? I've heard this before, but there's a few dots being connected for me, and I understand what Jesus has done for me. And I'm going to humble myself. I'm going to acknowledge my sin. I'm going to admit my need of a Savior. I'm going to surrender to the Spirit's control. And then that transformative work starts to take place. But let's be a grateful people. A thankful people.